our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hey, Sim, how's it going? Hey, Sonia. It has been going well. I feel like we have just come back from the US, which has been absolutely crazy. Can you believe we did not kill each other on that trip? Surprisingly, we didn't even bicker. We had so much fun. Do you want to tell us why we were in Pittsburgh in the first place? There was like a talk. Okay, what kind of talk was it? It was like a talk about investing that I did for Before? a brand called TEDx. Oh, casual, just a TED talk over in the US. Well, a TEDx talk, but yes. Oh, sis, it's still a TED talk. No, it was great. And Sonia came along, which was like the best thing ever. I was like, I can't go alone. Like, please come. And she was like, oh, I'll come with you. Like, But we had so much fun. We didn't fight despite ordering the same Uber at the exact same time. And I am sorry about the miscommunication. We thought it was so funny. Like we couldn't stop laughing, which is again, such a privilege to be in that position to just laugh about a money mistake. And then also Spirit Airlines canceling a flight at 11.30 PM when the flight was supposed to be at 5 AM. I didn't realize we were outing brands, but here we go. Yeah, I have a lot to say. No, I'm kidding. I don't have a lot to say. <laughs> so this week we have an amazing guest coming on. We have Iris Smith. She is a serial entrepreneur. She's a multi-million dollar business owner. She has two rapidly growing businesses, the Quick Flick and the Beauty Fridge. The Quick Flick, like guys, you don't understand her brand, the Quick Flick, from three months after launch, got picked up by Shark Tank which is crazy. And then she turned it down, which is crazier. She was named the 2019 Entrepreneur of the Year, 2020 Young Achiever of the Year. She's done $15 million in revenue in a year, and she's only 26 years old. So Iris, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you here. Tell us how you've done this. Oh, how have I done it? Just learning along the way, I think to be honest, taking each day at a time. I don't know. It's been, it's been a crazy whirlwind. So I think, yeah, just navigating everything one day at a time, learning as much as I can from others that have done the same before me, staying open-minded, staying curious, always being willing to learn, just having a, a, a positive outlook and really believing that um, anything is possible. Now, we definitely threw you in the deep end with that question. Very broad question. <laughs> Normally I get them at the end. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so we'll take our listeners back to the very beginning. Do you mind telling us, you know, a little bit about your background? You used to be an architect student and kind of what took you from that to being a business owner? Yeah, sure. So I graduated high school kind of not knowing what I wanted to do because I always had many interests. Initially, I really wanted to get into law. So I worked my absolute butt off all throughout year 12 and, and did get actually get into law school. And then last minute had a change of heart and thought, no, actually, I'm more of a creative person. Let me do architecture. So I did a year of architecture. Didn't like that uni. So then I moved again. You can see I was just trying lots of different things out, right? And then I ended up doing interior architecture. I didn't love it, but I kind of just like stuck with it. Honestly, just because like everyone told me to just stick with it. <laughs> you have to finish something at least. So yeah, I did four years of that. And then in my final year, I was actually at the time working for my ex-boyfriend. He had his own e-commerce company and it grew very quickly. He sort of said, you know, do you want to come and help me? So I quit my job um, working in retail and I went and pretty much was running his entire company because he was starting a second one at the time. So I got a little bit of a taste for marketing, e-com business there and really enjoyed it. Got to wear lots of different hats and, and see lots of different elements that go into running a business. And at the time, obviously I was studying interior architecture. I really loved design and personally loved wearing winged eyeliner and couldn't do it to save my life. It'd take me like 20 minutes to do it. So then it really just started as like a little side project for me during one of my uni breaks. And I just started like working on a design that I thought could be an easier way to apply eyeliner. So I was like doing these little models on my like SketchUp and then like designing this packaging. Honestly, I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a business. This is my business plan. Like I had none of that. <laughs> it was really just like this fun little project that I was just you know, doing it for myself personally. And then I thought, actually, maybe this could be a business. And I, I didn't tell anybody. So literally, it's actually mind boggling to think how quickly I got it done. So literally in like, I think I like that mid semester uni breaks, like eight weeks. And during that time, I did the design, like built my own website, found a manufacturer to make, make it, ordered like 800 units, and then launched like a few days before we went back to uni because then I remember being back at uni and everyone's like, what did you do on your break? <laughs> like I was off partying in Europe. <laughs> you were like creating this business. And yeah, like it was just really well received. And I think like the beauty of that product was it was like all about solving a pain point. And obviously so many other people have the same pain point about winged eyeliner. And then it was kind of just like a snowball effect from there. And I think like the main thing that sort of like blew it up was sending it to like influencers. And then from there, like Daily Mail wrote an article because they saw a few influencers using it. And then from the Daily Mail article, a producer of Shark Tank saw the Daily Mail article and reached out to me and said, hey, like we think you should audition for the show. Isn't that so crazy to go from this, you know, idea? I just want to ask you for people listening at home, how does one go from this is a fun idea to, okay, let me make a website. Let me actually do this. Like, did you ask people around? But it kind of sounds like you just believed in yourself and gave it a go. Yeah, I think like, I think I just thought it was possible. Well, 
I had been like coding websites when I was like 14. I used to do it as like a little side hustle. <laughs> I used to code these websites for like a hundred dollars and I was like, oh my God, I've made it. I was like 14 years old, like coding these websites for like my local football club. So I had a little bit of experience, but to be honest, I literally just jumped onto Google and typed in like, you know, web hosters or web providers and like Shopify came up and I think another one, I can't remember the name of it now, but like a competitor. And then I just, you know, looked at it and sort of tried both of them and decided which one worked for me, which was Shopify. But yeah, a a lot of Googling, a lot of just looking at what other people were doing, how they were doing it, taking inspiration from them, seeing what worked for me and what didn't work. Just one thing at a time. I also just want to like mention for like those listening at home, this was back in 2016, 2017. Like to do this kind of stuff, it wasn't as accessible as it is now. Like now you can Google how to set up a Shopify. You know, it's a little bit easier to do. Did you feel like you were going into a space where you were kind of navigating everything for the first time? Or did you feel like, you know what, I've got the support, this is doable? Yeah, it was definitely like first time. I think like I'm very much all about like keeping open-minded and seeing it as like a positive learning experience. Like I didn't at any point be like, oh my God, this is way too hard. I can't do this. Like it was almost like exciting for me to have that challenge and be like, I really want to figure this out. Like I'm a massive problem solver. Like I love having a problem. Like let me solve it for you. I'll think of like a million different ways. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's like just keeping that positive mindset and like thinking, okay, I can tackle this. I can figure a way through it rather than thinking, oh my God, this is all too much getting overwhelmed and just like throwing in the towel. Mm. I think that's what stood out to me from what you've just said, like you not being afraid to try different things. You're exploring one thing like with architecture and law and you being okay with the fact that it didn't work out or it didn't interest you because you can just move on to the next thing. I think that's a pretty, I would say, unique trait. Not everyone can just believe in themselves or have that positive mindset, you know, just to start over. Would you say that you've always been like that? Like as a kid, then at 14, you know, you were coding and changing football clubs lives (laughs) I think I've always had a little bit of it in me yeah I definitely think I've always had a bit of like an entrepreneurial spirit in me I guess like I remember going after school like church and like making these at home like lip balms and like selling them to the old ladies at the church it was always in you yep (laughs) yeah I think it was it was always in me but okay so I've spoken about this before on my platform for people who've heard me but I think like for my for my business it was really it was quite a personal thing for me because I'm not sure if you guys are aware of like my upbringing but I, I had quite an abusive upbringing and this is trigger warning for anyone listening right now a lot of like physical and emotional abuse from my stepfather growing up and I really struggled when I moved out of home so I moved out of home when I was 17 just like really struggled with feeling a sense of like ownership of myself my identity I just always felt like everything was kind of taken away from me I I, I just felt like nothing was truly mine so I, I think looking back and it's something I've reflected on a lot I think like when I started my business it was almost this taking back what was mine and wanting to build something that I could really like put my stamp on and say like I earned that. That was me. And no one could kind of like take it away from me. Like I earned it. So I think there was a little bit of like a trying to prove myself to the world a little bit and just like throw myself into this business. So I think that's why I had such this like go-getter, like fire in me to like really make this work, to really make something that was mine, that was like my own expression, my identity. Because I'd 
never really had that growing up and I'd always struggled with that. And how beautiful that you've turned it into such an empowering experience and that you do have something that you created and owned. And next question that I wanted to ask you is about your relationship with money growing up and what financial freedom means to you. Well, when I started, it was kind of this like proving myself to the world, this act of self-empowerment, but it actually became my own prison in a way because I was so eager to prove myself to others instead of actually focusing on myself and and figuring out how can I actually do this for me rather than doing this for others to look good for others, to get others validation that I am a worthy person. Because I think what happened, I really struggled with this self-worth and I thought, okay, if I can build a business, if I can be successful or be as successful as my boyfriend was at the time because he was doing so well with his business, maybe I'll feel good about myself, you know? So it actually became this really unhealthy cycle where I was thrashing myself at work, working ridiculous hours. It was constantly about what can I do next? And like when I achieve something, I'm like, oh, it's still not good enough. Like I launched into Priceline stores and I'm like, no, we're not, we're not in Ulta yet. Like I'm, I was like, it's not good enough. Like what's next? And it actually became a really unhealthy cycle because I was constantly trying to find that validation of myself externally. When it was actually there all along, I just needed to actually work on it in myself internally. So when my business actually became quite successful, it caused me to develop an extreme spending addiction. <laughs> like growing up, we were very much like starved of certain things. Like I always wanted to have like certain clothes, like my friends and have this and have that. And I never really had that growing up. So the second that I had the taste of some money, I went wild. <laughs> So I bought a new car. I bought like all these designer clothes and I was very much in the, in the circle at the time with my ex-boyfriend at the time. It was very much, what car are you driving? What handbag do you have? What do you look like? It was all externally. What does that mask look like that you present to the world? And it was all a mask. It was all for show. And looking back, I think, wow, these people were driving Ferraris and Mercedes and wearing Gucci and all of this. But when I actually reflect, I'm like, they were actually broke. It was all credit. It was all just loans and it was all about trying to get validation from other people because it felt really good when someone was like, oh my God, Iris, you look really good or oh my God, Iris, I love your car. I wish I could afford that. It turned me into having this unhealthy addiction where again, I was buying things to try and get some sort of feeling of happiness. Like I was so hungry for it. I was like, how do I feel worthy? How do I feel happy in myself? And that was reflected in I need to work harder and I need to buy more material things. You just get more and more depressed because this stuff, and it's just so much stuff in your life, doesn't give you any happiness really. Well, at least it didn't for me. For me, I hit absolute rock bottom in 2000 and when would it have been? It was actually after Shark Tank aired. So it would have been 2018, middle of 2018, absolute rock bottom. And on paper, my life looked absolutely perfect. I had the successful business. I had the boyfriend of five years, the nice car, the nice place, everything that, you know, everyone would say, like, what, what are you unhappy about? You've literally got everything, <laughs> you know? And I'd gotten in such a short period of time, but I was absolutely miserable. I was the unhappiest that I had ever been. I hit absolute rock bottom. And for me, yeah, the real, the real um, life-changing moment was when I broke up with my boyfriend, started to get therapy and completely changed my mindset about all of that stuff and working through that. And it took me a good 18 months of going to regular sessions mm. to really work through all of that 
trauma from my upbringing and completely changed my mindset around expression, work, my relationship with money. So yeah, I did a, I did a full 360, which I'm very proud of because I feel like I'm a completely different person now. And I think also breaking up with my boyfriend at the time was so big for me because I almost, even though I'd set out to start my business as something that I could put my mark on, I found myself in an unhealthy relationship again. It was almost like history repeating itself again when my partner was telling me, you know, like, you're only really successful because of what you learned in, in my business. And he would say things like, you know, it would be nice if you could give me a little bit of credit here and there because you probably wouldn't be as successful as you would be if you hadn't learned what you did through my business. So again, it was someone trying to take what I had done away from me. So I think making that cut and and clearing that Mm. tie was what really kind of woke me up a bit. And I was like, I need to get my shit together. I need to get my life together and I need to truly now work on myself and work on my own internal validation because I actually don't need this from anyone else. Who I really need it from is myself. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. I really appreciate your vulnerability and transparency of your experiences. As you say, on paper, it might have looked like your life was perfect. And just giving us that insight to your struggles with someone who didn't grow up with a lot of money and then having a lot of money and how you dealt with that, I think that is such a powerful part of your journey that you are sharing. And Mm. it just goes to show that just because you have more money doesn't mean that financial literacy will just come to you straight away. Also with the therapy note, I am such an advocate for therapy. Absolutely. At the end of the day, like no one actually heals you. It's you who does your own healing and you who works on yourself. Like no one can actually do that unless you're really willing to do it. So I think yeah, doing it for yourself, not because others are maybe forcing you to do it or, or pushing you to do it. But but I think also like it kind of just hit me when I just looked at my whole spare room in my apartment and there's just boxes and boxes of stuff and it's so overwhelming. I just thought, seriously, Iris. <laughs> Need to get you need to get your shit together. Honestly, when you were saying that it took like eighteen months for you to kind of look back, reflect, and unwind some of that behavior and trauma, mm. I remember my first therapy session. And after, I was like, "Excuse me, am I not supposed to be cured now?" <laughs> like after one session, it's an ongoing learning process, learning journey. Well, yeah, we spend years and years. You know, like for me, it was eighteen years of my life. You know. Exactly. being this way so 
We definitely can't expect for things to just be changed in in an hour. (laughs) I just wanted to jump in and say I related so much to a lot of your journey and what you've been through and the part where you spoke about, you know, your self-worth being kind of put through your business and like your hustle was like a reflection of yourself. Oh my goodness, I could not relate anymore. I'm sure Sonia was like taking notes. It's a really hard cycle to unlearn, especially when you are in circles where that is the norm. You know, if you're just the one friend that has the nice car, the nice bags, it's kind of easier to step back. But when you're in a group of people or just a a community where that is the norm, how did you remove yourself from that and how did people react to it? Well, I guess I I completely removed myself from that circle, to be honest, because I did start to look at it in, you know, it's quite toxic. And I thought, you know, if if people like me because of what what clothes I wear and what car I drive, I don't really want to be friends with those people. <laughs> That's, you know, not how I place value on a human being. I just completely removed myself and it, it did make me realize, you know, be very particular and wise with the people that you choose to surround yourself with because I very quickly got sucked up into their world and wanting to be that way and it was just exhausting to keep up with that and made me really unhappy so yeah I think that's that's probably the way I worked through it and I don't know how they responded because I didn't see them after that <laughs> like I'm blocking you on everything I'm not giving you an opportunity to have any more say was there a period where you felt like after you did that, you've cut them off and you're changing the people that you're surrounding yourself with. Was it quite an empowering and freeing experience or did you feel a little bit alone and you had to adjust to that as you found a new circle? It was extremely painful and extremely hard because it was almost like a shedding of my own identity. And this is where I think it can get dangerous is when we attach our identity to particular things. And then when we lose them, it's kind of like, oh my God, I don't know who I am anymore. Like, who am I? And that's what I struggled with. And I remember this one like therapy session I was like on the floor crying. I was like, who am I? Like, I don't know who I am anymore. Like, blah, blah, blah. And my therapist was like, no one comes here knowing who they are. Like you get to decide who you want to be. Like write your own narrative. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I can do that. I can decide who I want to be and who I want to surround myself with and how I want to present myself to the world. I don't need to have that dictated by other people. So yeah, it was very, very painful because it was like that shedding of the identity. But as the saying says, sometimes growing can feel like breaking at first. I learned a hell of a lot during COVID just in terms of how to navigate a business through a pandemic. That was very insightful. And yeah, just having to, you know, cut back on a lot of things, evaluate in my business, what is a true necessity? What do I really need and not need? Can I launch all of these products this year? Like there was, it was a massive learning experience for me throughout the pandemic. And I seeked a lot of advice from people and I, and I just upskilled myself because that was something that I hadn't spent a lot of time on in my business because I always had this mentality and I know it was from my upbringing and what people told me, 
I'm not a numbers person. That's what I always thought. I'm not a numbers person. I don't like maths. I didn't even do maths in high school because everyone always told me, oh, Iris, you're so bad at maths. You're an arty person. Your brain only thinks creatively. You can't do maths. So when I first started my business, I was very like, no, I don't want anything to do with it. I'll hire someone else to do that. I just want to focus on X, Y, Z. And I just had this massive block in me because I thought, I can't do this. I'm not a numbers person because that's just what I was told growing up. And when COVID hit, I was literally forced to have to learn all of the things that I've refused to want to learn. And then I realized I'm actually not bad at numbers or maths or understanding my finances. And it's really easy to read a P&L and understand cash flow. So yeah, that was, that was probably the big thing that set it off for me was COVID hitting, working through that mental block of mine and, and realizing that it was all bullshit what people had told me. The numbers part of it is so common. You have no idea how many people have said, oh, my God, I was just told I was bad with. And it's, it's like people just want to put you into a little corner. I mean, the, you know, doing history once at school and someone was like, wait, you like history? But I thought you like science. And it's like, well, you can do both. You can love, you know, different things. Would you say that? It was an easy process to then go from, Mm. you know, when COVID hit to learning about investing, learning about, you know, all these other things, you know, with your personal finance, was that hard to do? Or once you kind of over, you know, got over that hump of I'm bad with numbers, was that a pretty simple process from there? Uh, Yeah, it was because I deleted that narrative from my head. You know, like when you believe it, it is hard, right? Because you're like, it's hard because I'm bad at it. But when I started to realize this is actually really simple and people just overcomplicate this, which is the main message you guys preach. And I'm like, yes, it was actually really easy. And I became a much better business owner after that and felt so much more, you know, confident in the room because I knew what I was speaking about. I could have those conversations with like my CFO at the time, my accountant and just get it. And there's like a lot of power in that as well. And then, yeah, again, that allowed me to look at myself personally and how do I want to invest my money now that I'm not spending it all on clothes and shoes and nice cars. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was good for me. And it's interesting because when I looked at your questions, I actually thought back and I'm, and I was like, it's, it's funny because my mum's actually massive in investing. Like she has always been very good with her money, but we just were not bought that growing up. Like, unfortunately, it's unfortunate because I I wish I had learned it, but it's, it's been nice to actually almost, you know, learn that myself and navigate that myself. So Iris, you know, you've been, you kind of decided to invest. Would you say most of your investments are put into one particular way? Like, are you really into crypto? Are you into NFTs? Are you into index funds? Like, where are you at? I'll speak about both. I'll speak about business and personal. So from a business point of view, to date, most of my profits have been reinvested back into my business. I do pay myself a salary and I've taken a drawing before for like a deposit on my house. And that's pretty much it. Most of the profits, well, pretty much all of the profits stay into my business and are focused on growing it, investing in IT and new product developments, stock, etc. And then personally, I so I have my own house as well. So I guess you could say property. And then my first investment was actually in crypto, which I know is more more on the riskier side of things. So I'm probably the opposite of you, Sim. So I started like 
very high risk and then now I've had to go more lower risk to try and even it out. So yeah, crypto stocks and then recently I did delve a little bit into NFTs, but very, very minor. I'm not heavy into it. I I just, I love it because it's like artsy for me. I got very interested in some projects that had artists that I really loved and charitable elements attached to them. I'm interested in the whole like female NFT side of things and some of the female artists that are in that space. Yeah, I looked into that a little bit. But yeah, my first first investment was crypto. (laughs) I love that. Like the NFT space has grown so much and the artist stuff you know, is really interesting for those that are like listening at home and don't quite get, you know, how artists get paid. Not only do they get paid once you buy the NFT directly off them, but let's say Iris sells the, you know, artwork to me and then I sell it to Sonia. Every time it trades, the artist gets like 10% or 20% of every single sale. So they're continuously getting paid royalties, which is a nice way to support artists that you really love. Amazing. It sounds like your investing journey has been, you know, somewhat smooth sailing. Sounds like you really like, like to look into what you're getting into. Have you had any challenges or has it just been like pretty good so far? It's been pretty good. I think because I I think just from a business point of view, I'm quite calculated in the steps that I take. I definitely did fall into the like the whole hype of crypto, especially like around 2020 when people were just going mad. And I, I did buy some crappy coins, but I didn't put a lot of money into them. I was just like, uh, we'll see what happens, you know. Um, and yeah, they absolutely failed. But other than that, I think I think I've been quite fortunate so far and it's yeah just been because I've made decisions that have been calculated not from a place of like fear or scarcity or oh my god I'm going to miss out or oh my god my friend said I should invest in this I'm just going to do it I'm very much like okay I'll listen to all of the information and like sit with it and really decide whether or not I want to do this or not. If you had any advice for someone that was listening at home and was like, this woman sounds like, you know, she likes to take maybe a little bit more risky investments, but I want to, but I'm kind of scared. Did you have any words of advice that helped you when you were trying to weigh up information? You know, you kind of mentioned you don't have a scarcity mindset. Was that something you've always had or was that something you worked towards? Yeah, it's definitely been something I've I've worked towards. I think I had that scarcity mindset growing up and then you know, when I had the money, I just went absolutely crazy. I think it's just about doing things that you feel comfortable with, to be honest, and not playing with money you don't have. I think that's the biggest thing. And being okay with the fact that if it does go south, you know, that can happen. And not expecting, I think when people like expect it to go a certain way, and when it doesn't, that's when like major disappointment and guilt sets in and and feeling shame around it. So yeah, I just keep an open mindset. And if I'm buying something that's maybe a bit riskier, if I lose it, like I'm I'm okay with that happening before I've actually made that investment. That's amazing. We honestly love to hear it. It's so interesting the way that we're all so different with our investing styles, but they all kind of work out for us. I mean, you know, I can't imagine Sonia ever or probably myself being like, you know what, 
I'm going to jump into crypto first. But I think it's great. And it's so awesome that, you know, there's all this wealth of knowledge out there that lets us make these decisions. Now, we're going to go into some rapid quickfire questions. What is your favorite book? So my favorite book is by Simon Sinek. And it's Start With Why. Completely changed my mindset to how I ran my business. What is your favorite quote? Do it properly or don't do it at all. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. What is your favorite business tip? My favorite business tip or tip I would give is only start a business if you truly love it and you want to do it for yourself, not because others are telling you to do it and you think it's what you should do because you'll very quickly fall out of love with it. I can attest to that. There has been more than one time when I have started something and gone, you know what? I'm not very good with fashion. Why why am I here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. You have provided us with so many great nuggets to take away. I am so thankful that you have taken out the time to come with us, to chat with us, to open up about so many different things. I'm pretty sure we could keep going, but we are, you know, very mindful of your time. So thank you so much for joining us. If you could leave our listeners with one thing about, you know, getting started in the kind of industry that you're in, you know, starting your own brand, working in beauty, working in the ways that you have at such a young age, is there anything you'd love to leave everyone with? I would honestly say do it for you and not for anyone else. That's what I would say. Not because you're trying to prove yourself to other people or because you care what other people think. Because everyone else is caught up and worried about, oh, my God, what do they think? Like no one's actually thinking about you. I'm sorry. They're thinking about themselves and worrying about what other people are thinking, right? So, yeah, do it for you because it's what you want to do. I love it. I love it. So, Iris, where can people find you? We know you've come out with some amazing new products very recently, especially your sunscreen, which I have been loving. If someone wants to find you, where are you at? So personally, you can find me on Instagram. My handle's Iris Jade or on TikTok, Iris Jade Smith. And then my brands you can find on pretty much every platform if you just look at the Quick Flick and Beauty Fridge. Thanks for having me. Now, before we go, just a couple of things. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you enjoy this episode. Please share it on your social media and tag us. Um, It's probably one of the best ways that we do grow and we love to see everyone enjoying the episodes and we love to see where you listen from. You want to find us, you know, online. We're on social media, Girls and Best on Instagram, on TikTok. Our Facebook group is popping off. And if you want to have more of a conversation about this episode, we're going to have a post up in our Facebook group, Girls That Invest, where we can sort of chat about this um, and sort of our experiences with money and growing up, you know, how it's shaped what we've become. So a good place to end it. Now, the disclaimer. Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We're not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investing or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. All right, till next time, Sonia. Till next time, Sim. Bye. Bye.